0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Let's get our Bibles open now to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and our sermon title today is this, True and False Wisdom. True and False Wisdom. We're in a very important text today. Uh, really gets to the heart of the matter in many, many ways. I'm praying it's going to... Uh, move with conviction, to be honest, as it did in my heart this week. Really feel the urgency with this text as well. Man, the Holy Spirit's just putting his finger on the pulse uh, of how Satan seeks to ruin the church and how God wants to give blessing and wisdom to his children. The phrase wisdom from above occurs twice in our text, our short text. And uh, without a doubt, that's the theme then. Wisdom from above is what God wants us to focus on. And I want us to stop and consider right now that wisdom from above is what? It's the wisdom of God. Uh, It's it's, it's heavenly wisdom. And so God in his generosity and his love, okay? And I I like when we step back and kind of look at the big picture. God in his love for you, he desires to fill you with his wisdom, He wants you to live with wisdom. He wants to fill your life with wisdom. He wants to fill your relationships, your speech, your desires, your trials, your heartache, your family, and your future. He wants to fill all of those things with his wisdom. The blessing of God's wisdom are seemingly unending and limitless. But God the Father, who gives every good and perfect gift from above, James 1.17, The same God wants to bless you with his wisdom. And please, church, understand this, okay? Listen up. His wisdom is one of his greatest gifts because his wisdom spares us from so much unnecessary pain, heartache, and misery. His wisdom guides us into his will, and God's will is always the best. However, okay, this is is part of wisdom. To truly possess wisdom, listen up, To truly possess wisdom requires wisdom. The wise person knows they need wisdom, right? Um, One of my favorite verses in Proverbs, Proverbs 4, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Thank you, get wisdom, right? Isn't that amazing? The Bible tells us the beginning of those people who are wise understand that they need to get wisdom and the text says, whatever you get, get insight, So the wise person wants more wisdom. And what does the wise person know too from our text today and elsewhere? Competing with true wisdom is false wisdom or a counterfeit wisdom. And our text goes as far today to say a demonic wisdom, a false earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom is in the way and combating the desire for true, godly, and heavenly wisdom. Why is wisdom such a big deal? Wisdom is such a big deal because it's so often, or is the difference between joy and misery, between blessing and devastation, and even between life and death. That's how important possessing true wisdom is and knowing what false wisdom is so we can avoid it and we can rebuke it, okay? So, you and I are very wise to know more about true and false wisdom. James 3, verse 13, take a look. Let's read our text, and then let's jump in together. James 3, 13 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? It's a rhetorical question James is asking. He says this, here's the answer, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But, contrasting true wisdom, if you have bitter jealousy and selfless ambition in your hearts, do not boast or be false to the truth. That is false wisdom. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wow. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfless ambition, notice those two sins mentioned twice, exist, there will be disorder and every evil or vile practice. But the wisdom from above, this is what we want so desperately need, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so let's jump into our text today of true and false wisdom. Again, very important text. Number one is this, the call for true wisdom is clear. The call for true wisdom, wisdom from above, is clear. Verse 13, again, James um, asks a rhetorical question. Hey, are you a person of wisdom? Are you a man or woman of understanding? It's interesting, both those words, wisdom and understanding, carry the meaning of theory, but and practice. So there's a the knowledge, the possessing of wisdom must lead to the practice or the fruit of wisdom, right? This is James's MO, isn't it? All throughout this letter, he's like, hey, if you're truly wise, it's more than your head. It comes from your life. He says that over and over again in different ways. Again, he is insisting that true wisdom must produce fruit from our lives. And James and Jesus are so much on the same page in this text and through the whole letter, of course, because it comes from the same book, the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 11 that wisdom is justified by her deeds. It's interesting, the King James translates that wisdom is justified by her children. So the way we prove that wisdom is in our lives is by the, quote, children we bear or the fruit that comes from our lives is the proof that true wisdom, again, is within us. This is what James is going after. Now notice what James says in verse 13. He says, hey, are you wise? Are you understanding? Prove it then by your good conduct. And how is our good conduct revealed? by showing his works, notice the text says next, look at verse 13, in the meekness of wisdom. So interesting, meekness here is identified and set apart as one of the greatest indicators that you and I are filled with wisdom, meekness. A characteristic meekness can be translated humility and and, and gentleness as well meekness that was disregarded or despised by the Greeks, is now held up as one of the highest virtues by Jesus Christ and his apostles. And here in verse 13 here, the call for true wisdom is most clearly seen through the virtue, again, of meekness. And by the way, again, think about it. Why is meekness so important? When Jesus describes himself in Matthew chapter 11, he uses the same root of the word meekness in James 3. He says, for I am gentle meekness and lowly in heart. of the foremost ways Jesus describes himself and his character, he includes meekness the more we become like Jesus Christ, one of the greatest tests of this is the increasing meekness within our lives because Jesus Christ is the personification of wisdom. He describes himself as gentle, as meek and lowly of heart. So the more we find we are wise, the more we are fine like Christ, the more we find that meekness is growing within us. Some of you are saying, hey, but meekness, I don't use that word a lot. What do you you mean by that exactly? Let's unpack what meekness is. Meekness does not contend for the recognition of their rights. Meekness is the person who doesn't need their personal views to always to win or even to be heard all the time. Meekness is the person who first sees their own unworthiness before God, which then impacts their relationships around them. That's an important one. The meekness before the Lord understands we are not worthy. We are not entitled to anything but death and punishment and hell. So the unworthiness leads to a tremendous gratitude, which is the antithesis of entitlement and self-privilege. And therefore, our horizontal relationships are impacted by the meekness we are gaining from Christ that's bearing fruit from our lives. Meekness describes the person who's not impressed with their self-importance. Meekness is strength under control. Doesn't mean there's a denial of strength in Christ. There is, but it's a strength that is harnessed for the appropriate situations. Meekness is restrained patience. Meekness is a patient trust in very difficult situations. See, when when hardship, when trials hit us, the person who is not meek will reach out to control it themselves, to manipulate the situation, to be filled with anxiety, and stress and try to, again, assume control of what is not theirs to control. Meekness surrenders and humbles themselves in a gentleness, trusting God in the situation they find themselves in, even if they don't fully understand it. You see how much meekness impacts our relationships with people around us. And one of the greatest proofs of wisdom from verse 13 that James is saying is the fruit of meekness and wisdom that comes again from our lives wisdom will always 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 lead to some version of meekness i mean even as we enter into passion week here just think about this in first peter when it speaks of christ when christ was reviled he did not revile in return what is that meekness That is meekness. When Jesus Christ is nailed to the cross and that horrific death and torture to the very people who were murdering him, falsely accusing him and hanging his body up on a tree, left to die over several hours, what does Jesus do? He cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is meekness. Again, and one of the greatest examples ever. The more we grow like Christ, the more meekness will be seen through our lives. And this is one of the greatest proofs that wisdom is increasing within us according to God's word here in James 3, verse 13. Interesting, isn't it? The call for true wisdom is clear. And in some ways, it'll be most clearly seen through meekness. This takes us to point number two, though. And point number two is this. But the opposite now of true wisdom is devastating. The opposite of true wisdom is devastating. Look at, look at verse 14 and 15. But if you have, again, buts in contrast to meekness, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfless ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is not of God. I added that, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So notice here the clarity. Verse 13 boils down meekness or wisdom into meekness. There's more to come in verse 17. But for now, wisdom is boiled down to the fruit of meekness in our lives. Now false wisdom is boiled down to two main sins. Struck me so much this week. The two main sins that James is led by the Holy Spirit to write down that constitute false demonic wisdom is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So let's get straight up right now because James is straight up with us. No matter how we rationalize it, no matter how we excuse it, no matter how we explain it, or no matter how we try to blame it on other people. When you and I are personally filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, let's just be honest enough to say this. In that moment, we are the opposite of true wisdom. There is never a situation that we are filled with bitter jealousy or selfish ambition and somehow we have the wisdom of God. It's impossible. That is not of God. That is not of heaven. That is of Satan. That is of the flesh. That is of the earth. Whenever we are filled with these two sins, we are operating apart from God and the text says we're operating in the strategy of Satan. But with the heart though, the heart is so deceitful, right? The heart is so deceitful and wicked that somehow, in our bitterness, our jealousy, our selfish ambition. We're like, no, 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 I'm godly in my bitterness. No, 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 I'm I'm Christ-like in my jealousy and envy. No, I'm holy in my selfish ambition. You know, it's what I deserve. We do that, the heart does that. We find reasons to rationalize the sin that is so pervasive in our lives and we seek to blame others in the process. And that's why we will always, always lose if that's our strategy. It's hard to overstate the impact and the devastating consequences of these sins in our relationships and within the church. Just think about it. If you've been alive for longer than just a couple of years, you think about how much damage is caused by bitterness and jealousy and envy and selfish ambition. How many hearts are broken and churches are ruined and leaderships are devastated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. The two sins that James mentions here, again, it's very sobering. We're very wise to step back and take an honest look. Bitter jealousy here, jealousy is so closely tied to envy. What is that? Uh, It's defined as the spirit that cannot be content with what they have. The root of that is jealousy or envy. Jealousy or envy here is wanting someone else's life. Jealousy and envy is, instead of rejoicing over what someone else has, if truth be told, we weep over it. Now that's a real situation for some of us in this room right now, we're listening. There have been circumstances where other people have gotten things that we so desperately wanted and we should, as friends or people who will rejoice, rejoice, we should rejoice with them, but we have literally wept, maybe in private, shed tears of misery because the people of God and what we so desperately thought that we deserved or we should have. That's bitter jealousy and that's envy. Jealousy here is when your unhappiness is over someone else's happiness. We are miserable because other people are joyful. It's when we secretly wish for the demise of another. It's when we rejoice when others fall. We even secretly pray for others to get what's coming to them. It's it's the wickedness of the heart. Do you know why jealousy and envy is such a serious problem? It's because it's one of those sins that's hardly ever confessed. I think we're much more likely to confess sins of anger, ill speech, maybe even lust or greed. But you hardly ever hear someone confess jealousy and envy. Why? Why? Because it's one of those sins that just reveals just the reality and the inner workings of the heart. It's almost like we're just terrified to admit what's really going on. And this is why jealousy and envy then is so often camouflaged as other things. Right, We cry out for injustice, or we cry out for justice at our injustice. We complain that we're treated unfairly, that we have it bad, that people are against us. We cry out that we've been grieved. But really what happens to me, this is where you have to be wise and pull it back. Really what's happening is it's not fair. They're not treating me right. There's injustice here, but quite often if you pull it back as you uncover the layers, and the root of it is jealousy. The root of it is bitterness, because they're getting what we deserve. And so we camouflage it as a cry of injustice. But in reality, if you really pull it back, we're so angry that we're not getting what we think we deserve and we hate that others have it. Jealousy and envy are so wicked because when we're around people we like, even people we admire sometimes, when they fail or fall, we rejoice. Because in the end, we want what they have. And really, really, jealousy is when we want other people to be miserable, just like us. See, so jealousy and envy is ter- terrible because nothing sucks the joy out of our lives as much as envy, bitterness and jealousy. Now, if jealousy wasn't bad enough, notice in verse 14, it's kind of qualified as bitter jealousy. And bitterness, of course, speaks of resentment, harsh treatment, um, piercing, cutting of others, biting, bitter in heart. Uh, Church, make sure you know this today, bitter words reveal a bitter heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words of bitterness reveal a heart of bitterness within. A quote we used a a couple of weeks ago, which is so penetrating, was the quote, Bitterness is the poison we drink, hoping someone else will die. Remember that? Bitterness is the poison we drink, but we're hoping someone else will die from it. The devastation of bitter jealousy. And then the other sin that James mentions here is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition directly involves angry competition. It's the intentional undermining of another person for your gain. It's commonly linked to sinful competition between leaders. There's a fighting for prominence. There's a wrestling and a fighting for position. Uh, uh, Selfish ambition speaks of rivalry, being factious, insubordination, and self-advancement. It's like I'm um, Absalom when he undermines his own dad, father, David, the king, and Absalom positions himself by the gate to have people coming in to promote himself as a savior to provide the answers he thinks they want to hear, and then to purposely steal the hearts of the individuals that they might turn against his father, David, the king at that time. That is selfish ambition. It's the wickedness of the human heart. We are intentionally seeking to tear others down that we might be promoted in their place. One of the foremost sins that wreaks havoc upon the church and upon Christians. Notice too, in verse 14, again, just a phrase you can't miss here. Notice, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. What does it say next? It says, in your hearts. The Bible here is revealing this is a heart problem. When we have these sins running through our lives, it's, a, it's an absolutely clear diagnosis that we have a heart problem. Problem. This behavior is the opposite of wisdom. It's the exact opposite of wisdom. Again, what happens when we try to excuse it, we try to blame others. We try to rationalize it away. But right now, before the Lord, Holy Spirit, Bible open right now. I mean, let's just be honest enough. If the Holy Spirit has revealed already in our lives, in our hearts, bitter jealousy and selfless ambition, the wise thing to do. And the truly wise and meek person right now repents of the sin as opposed to focusing on someone else beside you right now or someone else across, whatever it might be. The wise person says, yes, my heart is the problem. I repent. Because you can't change someone else, but you can change you by God's grace. So the wise person is not looking to blame anyone right now. The wise person joins David and says, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Lord, I'm the problem. I have the heart problem. Please, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me. Renew a, a right spirit within me. Against you and you only have I sinned, oh God. I need your help. I need your cleansing. I am the problem. Please, Lord, give me a clean heart. Such a critical Point of wisdom right now for all of us here to own what we need to own. Now, if that all wasn't enough heart surgery, now we have again verses 15 and 16. Look at that. It says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. This is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. So this is devastating. So often we seek to explain our sin away. The Holy Spirit calls us out right now. He's like, no, no, no. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, let's call it for what it is. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. What does that mean? Earthly versus heavenly, right? When we are have wisdom from above, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, what is that? That is earthly. Uh, Colossians 3.2, if you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above, not things on the earth. Because the things of the earth don't last. So wisdom says, I live for what is above. I live for what is heavenly. I live for what is eternal. But earthly again, false wisdom is of the earth. We're so focused on the here and now, we miss out on what is actually true. He next he says, this wisdom is unspiritual or it is natural, natural compared to supernatural. It is unspiritual compared to what is spiritual. It is the flesh as opposed to what is of the spirit of God. That's what James means right there. This is when when we are operating in the natural of the flesh. This is when human feeling reigns our lives or human reasoning rules our day. We are not operating by the Holy Spirit of God. We are operating by the flesh and on the terms of the world around us. That is the wisdom from below. That is, that is earthly, unspiritual wisdom. And then the last qualifier, he says here, this is demonic, wow, demonic, he says. Demonic as opposed to Christ. So let's be super clear here right now too, right? I mean, the Bible's calling us out big time right now. It tells us here that when we are filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, the roots of that are satanic. The roots of those sins, again, of course, are demonic. And think of the fall of Satan, right? The fall of Satan, of course, was rooted in jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition. Listen, listen, he's been leading in this way ever since. He is trying to get as many people as possible to jump on this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition train so he can ruin as many lives in the process and he can devastate marriages and ruin homes and devastate leaderships and devastate churches and devastate groups and just devastate movements. And he's been successful more than we care to admit. And notice, notice the result then of such thinking. Look at, look at, look at verse 16 now. For where jealousy, and then again, notice, mentioned again, where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every evil or vile practice, right? So doesn't this explain the conflict in relationships? Doesn't this explain the conflict of relationships between leaders and leaders in the church? Doesn't this reveal the strategy of Satan to ruin churches and to bring chaos and disorder, and evil within the church in itself? It does. I came across a really good quote by a couple of commentators this week. Look at this, This it's very insightful. When we fight for power in Christian circles, look at this, look at this. Evil establishes a foothold. See, what is so sobering to me, there's nothing that maybe gives evil a better foothold in Christian circles than bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. When we operate within worldly values, seeking our own honor and status, we even offer Satan an entrance into the house of God. That is very, very telling and very wise statement. Sobering. When we are filled with the wisdom of God, The door stays shut. The security system's in place. It keeps Satan and his demons out. When we start to operate in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that door swings wide open and we're basically welcoming Satan in to our own hearts, our lives, and to wreak havoc upon the church. Serious stuff. I mean, the Bible really knows what it's talking about, doesn't it? I've been in ministry long enough to say this is such, such a critical word. How many situations of disorder, chaos, instability, evil, right? And here's the thing too, right? When you, when you pull off the layers, like all of us, if we've been in the church for longer than just a couple of years, all of us have gone through stuff. And, 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 and so often, again, it's like there's all these blaming and accusations and there's all these, you know, very difficult situations of people against one another. But if you really pull it back, what the Bible's telling us today, if you really pull off the layers, if you get down to the root, so the fruit is, you know, jealousy or the fruit is all the conflict and division. But if you get, get at the root, the root is more often time and time and time again is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That's what the Bible is telling us today because that's how Satan runs. That is his character. The father of lies and rooted in evil practices with jealousy and selfish ambition. This, this is the door we're learning here. This is the door that Satan most commonly uses to destroy the church. Wow. This is the door he most commonly uses to destroy families and to ruin relationships. So right now is a moment of wisdom and the Holy Spirit's doing a lot of application right now here, overflow, elsewhere. Are we wise enough right now to own what we need to own? Remember, right now, it's not about you blaming the person a few seats away from you. Wisdom right now is not trying to justify their sinful tendencies by what's been done to them. Wisdom right now is not trying to produce a self-righteousness because they deserve what they're getting from me. That's not wisdom, that's foolishness. Wisdom right now, are we wise enough to own what's ours? Are we wise enough to own our sin right now? You again, you can't change someone else, you can change it. You can change you. That's what wisdom does. Lord, I, I see my sin. I repent. Lord, I see my sin my heart. My heart needs to be cleansed. See, because wisdom knows when I do that, I win. Wisdom knows when I blame others, I lose. Every single time. Every single time. And that's why the Holy Spirit takes so much time here in such detail to explain these hard, but very, very important truths. So the opposite of true wisdom is absolutely devastating. Now, Aren't you glad there's one more point? Imagine we ended right there and just say, hey, God bless you. Hope you feel better about yourself. Here we go. That's good. Sermon's over. But it's not. We have one more point, and it's a very positive point. Number three is this. The fruit of true wisdom is beautiful. The fruit of true wisdom, heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom now is beautiful. Look at verse 17 now. But, right? But here's the contrast. But in contrast to earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, here's the wisdom from above. It is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and it is sincere. So what this becomes right now is a spiritual checklist. It's like we're going to the Holy Spirit doctor appointment. And the Holy Spirit now wants to show us, hey, how are we doing in terms of wisdom from above? Because here's what it should look like. So this is exciting, and we get to do that just for a couple of minutes here, okay? Notice this, first of all. First of all, true wisdom is pure. It is pure. Uh, what does that mean? The foundation of wisdom is the purity of God. It's, it's, it's a mind that is rooted in purity. It's the opposite of being duplicitous or double-mindedness, chapter one, verse eight, the opposite of double-mindedness. One person here, another person over there. It is the pursuit of moral blamelessness. Really, pure here is the opposite of bitter jealousy and selfless ambition. When we are filled with God's wisdom from above, we spurn bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And we are, have a foundation of having a, a purity within our lives of thinking the thoughts that God wants us to have. It's interesting, hey, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The wisdom of God is always pure, and the wisdom of God finds those who also are pure. Next, the text says the wisdom is peaceable. So, Demonic wisdom is combative. Uh, Demonic wisdom seeks a fight. Demonic wisdom wants to divide and create strife. But peaceable is the opposite of that. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. So, in our lives, are we known for being peacemakers or are we peacetakers? Do we create peace or steal peace from situations? Those with wisdom create peace. Next, true wisdom is gentle. This is closely tied here to meekness. It comes from the kind of same root of this a willingness, what is willingness to yield? a willingness to forego my rights, a desire to be kind. Wisdom is gentle. Uh, false wisdom is harsh and bitter. True wisdom is gracious and kind and gentle. It was Jesus who said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Wisdom is being open to reason, open to reason. Um, By far, some of the hardest situations um, we have ever had to deal with, me, maybe you as well, are when you meet with people who refuse to listen. They are wise in their own eyes, Proverbs says, they are 100% certain that their view is the only view and they are right 100% of the time. There is no teachability, there is no reasonableness, there is no willing to even listen to a counter position. The Bible describes that person a 100 times over as a total fool. Proverbs describes that person a 100 times as a complete fool. Because they will not listen to anything contrary to their opinion. Open to reason is the opposite of that. Open to reason is the wisdom of God. It exhibits teachability. There's a willingness to listen. They are pleased to exercise deference. Because they know they don't know everything. And they know they can't see their blind spots. And they know they need counsel and help around them. They know they don't know. It goes on to say that true wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. So wisdom from above, church, is a wisdom that loves. It's full of mercy. It is full of compassion. James is big on this all throughout, again, this letter. There's a wisdom of mercy, and it's full of that and full of good fruits. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So a a life of wisdom, notice, is is, is full of fruit, right there in the text. It is full of mercy. It is full of good fruits. There's a a bounty of fruitfulness that comes from the life of wisdom because it's a wisdom from God, and God tends to produce a lot of fruit. True wisdom, finally, is impartial, and it is sincere. The wisdom from above is not partial. It is not prejudice. God's wisdom from above is sincere. It is genuine. You cannot fake true wisdom from above. It is so strikingly beautiful. This is the wisdom that God desires to produce in us that he zealously wants to give us. It's the wisdom from above, which is in direct contrast to the false wisdom from what is below. Now look at verse 18. We'll end here. Verse 18 James says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That phrase, a harvest of righteousness, that is so good, eh? That's what wisdom from above results in. So look up here for a second, okay? Here's what we're learning. Look up here for a second. So wisdom, the life of wisdom, leads to a harvest of righteousness in Christ, in Christ, but a pursuit of holiness. Seek first the kingdom of God, right, and his righteousness, Right? So where there's true wisdom, there is righteousness. Where there's righteousness, then there will be peace. The righteousness of Christ and the peace we have in life leads to a bounty of peace. Let's back that up for a second, though. Let's kind of reverse that, right? Where there's a lack of wisdom, false wisdom, leads to sinfulness, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition, and this will lead ultimately to misery, to a lack of peace. Bitter jealousy and selfless ambition leads to despair and anger and, and sinful, again, misery. And maybe right now, if you're here today and your life is kind of typified by misery, you got to back the train up. And it starts with, you're not living a life of wisdom. You've been operating on the earth in what is unspiritual and demonic. And the result of that will always be misery. And if you're not careful, death. But a life of wisdom. In Christ, and meekness leads to righteousness, a harvest of righteousness that ultimately will put us in a place where we have a peace that surpasses understanding because we are bearing the very fruit of God and the Holy Spirit within our lives. This is what God wants to give us today. It's beautiful today that we get to respond to this message with the Lord's Supper. So what I'm going to ask you to do is maybe just to quietly pack your things up here. And um, as you do so, I just would like to lead us in a response before we receive the Lord's Supper together. I think there's a lot of conviction in the room today. I think there's a lot of things to consider and think about. So I just love for you to be still. I just love for you to just to bow your heads where you are with me. And let's, let's just consider a few things as we approach the, the seriousness of the Lord's Supper. Remember, church, Jesus Christ is the epitome and personification of wisdom. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is holiness and righteousness and wisdom. The Lord's Supper is to remind us of what Christ did for us. To save us. To bear the penalty for our sin. And we are instructed in scripture as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper as genuine believers. We are called to examine our hearts and lives. This is a good day to do this based on our, on our passage. I just, I just encourage you right now, strongly urge you actually, examine your life right now and confess all bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. What has the Lord revealed to you today about jealousy and selfish ambition in your lives? Maybe some layers have been pulled back and you've been able to see this is the source of my hurt. You know, actually, for some right now, I just want to encourage you to that maybe it's significant enough that these sins are significantly rooted in your life enough that maybe today you don't take communion. Maybe the instructions of Jesus when you know you've offended someone and hurt them that you leave your gift at the altar and go get right with them before you come back to offer your gift. Maybe that's you today. And maybe today or tomorrow you are led to get right with someone and just to own jealousy and selfish ambition and then to have your conscience cleared and just to know the forgiveness that is there and to come back on Friday, Good Friday and to receive with a clear conscience and a a renewed love and sense of God working in your life, how awesome would that be? I leave that up to you and the Holy Spirit, but I just, I'm sure there's more than one. So we examine our hearts, and we understand if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We examine, we remember. What are we to remember? This is why Christ died for us, church. He died because only he could pay for for the sins that we commit each and every day. He came to live and die to save us from our wretched sin. Just think, where would we be without the cross of Jesus Christ? Remember, his meekness led to our salvation. His surrender, his willingness. Maybe you like me right now, then you're filled with a, a new perspective on what Christ did and you're filled with gratitude. Gratitude to Jesus Christ. His death gave us peace with God. Now his peace is to live through us. You see, we're no longer enemies with God. We are friends of God. And now the peace of Jesus Christ is to live in us and then to be seen through us to one another. That's the whole point. And maybe you have a sense of hope. We are to proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. The hope church, the hope memory, The one day when Christ returns and when the perfection of wisdom the perfection of wisdom will be perfectly known. Oh, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. So I just remind you too, there's many, many people here today. Um, The Lord's Supper is a serious thing and it's for those who are truly saved and alive in Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you are not sure of your genuine salvation in Jesus Christ by grace through faith, just please let the elements pass. But to take a moment right now and to consider your place before Christ. Are you a sinner in need of a savior? Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you from your sins. Maybe today you will say, Jesus Christ, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you're the savior of my sins. I believe you're the only one to give everlasting life. I believe you died for my sins on the cross and rose from the dead, defeating death once and for all. And if I believe in you, Jesus, then I receive your gift of grace and I will never die again. And you can gain entrance into the kingdom of God and be called child of God, never to fear death again. That's why he came. This is the power of remembering what Christ did for us. I'm going to ask the communion service if you could come forward now. That would be so good. You come forward now and just begin to get ready to serve. And let me just pray for us uh, as you do. Yes, Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. It is clear. Sometimes it is difficult to receive, yet it's so needed. It is so needed. This is how Satan wants to ruin our lives and ruin our church through sins like bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, you would root it out, and I pray that you would allow us to confess our sins to be cleansed. And I pray we would marvel at your grace, marvel that you don't just strike it with the lightning and just cast us into judgment right now, but the love that we've received, the grace that we've been given, just amazing. So may this time be very special. A time of remembrance, examination, time of confession, a time of gratitude, a time of hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.